Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome back to another episode of The Stacks. This week for The Stacks Book Club, we're discussing Less by Andrew Sean Greer. Our guest is Zeke Smith, and I am your host, Tracy Thomas. Are you a member of The Stacks Pack? Do you even know what The Stacks Pack is? Well, it's a group of people who love this show who contribute monthly to the work that we're doing. In exchange, they earn special perks, inside access, and we've got some really exciting stuff coming in the fall for Stacks Pack members. How do you join? You go to patreon.com slash the stacks, you pledge whatever you can, and then you're in. It's not easy. Also, you get to rest easy knowing that you're helping make your favorite podcast a reality. There's no way we could make the show without help from people like you. So if you're able to contribute, please consider doing so. Also, make sure that you're subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, whatever you use, Stitcher, TuneIn. I don't know. There's so many different options. So just make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a few moments to rate and review the show. Our most recent review comes from Shar and her books. She says, quote, I absolutely love this podcast and look forward to it every Wednesday. Every time I listen, I feel like I'm sitting at a cafe with two friends talking books and all things life. Thank you so much, Shar. We appreciate you listening and your support. The rest of you, there's still time. You can rate and review whenever you have a moment. As always, I've listed everything we talk about in this week's episode in the show notes. And if you shop through the links in those notes, the Stacks earns a small commission at no charge to you. And you get to know that you're shopping, helping out one of your favorite podcasts. So it's a win-win. That's all for housekeeping. This week's guest is Zeke Smith. If you missed him last week, go back and check it out. Get to know him a little better before diving into this week's conversation about Pulitzer Prize winning book, Less, by Andrew Sean Greer. There are definitely spoilers this week. So if you've not read the book, you might want to pause this episode, read the book, and come back whenever you're ready. We will still be here. Okay, let's do it. Okay, we're back for the Stacks Book Club this week. We are joined again by the wonderful Zeke Smith. Um, If you haven't listened to Zeke on the show, you can go back to last week's episode. Zeke, welcome back. I'm so excited to be back. I'm excited to be having you here. We're talking about this year's Pulitzer Prize winner, Less, by Andrew Sean Greer. It's a novel. 
Um, it tells the story of Arthur Less, who's our protagonist. He's a writer. He's nearing 50. He's very nearing 50. And he gets invited to his ex-partner's wedding. And he's like, nah, I can't go to that wedding. Too stressful, too much. I'm still just trying to figure out my life. I'm going to go travel the world. So the book is his journey around the world from San Francisco to a bunch of places. Um, and that's kind of like the rundown of the book. And just before we get going, we're going to spoil the book today. I, it's, a, it's a fiction book. There's no way we can't spoil it. So if you haven't read, pause the episode, take your time, read the book, and then come back. This episode will be here for you. All right, Zeke. Let's do it. Let's start with my just intro question. What did you think of the book? I loved this book. (laughs) I had so much fun reading this book. I really, I guess I will say a couple of things. I was reading this book and it intersected with a couple of events in my life. Uh, So the first is that uh, the, so the protagonist, Arthur Less, is an author and he submitted a book and it got rejected by uh, his publisher. Well, and... he was already signed with a publisher, like had written two other books with them. Right. And and they, they were like, like nah. no. Um, so I was a little different, uh, but I, I was in the process of writing a book, wrote a proposal, and the proposal was resoundingly rejected. Uh, so I was like, oh, commiserating with that experience. And also, he uh, is someone who is mildly successful, has had his own small amount of success, but his former partner is a genius and like one of the greatest poets of his generation. Sure. Uh, I also happen to be in a relationship with someone who's experiencing a lot more success than I am right now. And I'm in his shadow a little bit. So I was like, Oh gosh, I identify with that. Um, but yeah, I, there are like so many fun little moments of like the modern queer experience that I, he captures so well that authors not only authors but i don't think any medium that i've witnessed is capturing quite as beautifully as he had and uh yeah i was like oh gosh this book is really speaking to me on so many levels that's i'm that really makes me happy because i didn't love this book okay i like this book fine now let's talk about the things that i carry with me because i think it's important to the conversation i don't love fiction okay um generally I like nonfiction and I don't like things that are what I call quote unquote fictiony. This book isn't super fictiony. I think fictiony is like when there's like a 30 page description of like a field. I'm like, okay, so it's a, it's a green. Awesome. Then what happens? He moves pretty quickly. This book things. moves quickly. So I appreciated that. Like I read the book in two or three days. Like it didn't, it wasn't that the book didn't move. I just kind of felt like the whole time, like what's the point? And also that might be because I don't really connect with the 50-year-old white male, like, lens. Fair enough. Um, The stuff about relationships I connected with because I think relationships are easy to connect with. Yeah. Um, But, like, a lot of the stuff about being a writer and, like, kind of, like, the struggle and and the feelings of, like, mediocrity, Mm -hmm. like, some of that stuff I kind of was like, yeah, we're not all geniuses, you know? But isn't that the point of the book? Like, sure. I feel like so I in the, the the work that I was I was writing, I was trying to write my write myself at so there's this moment where he's pitching his he's about to turn fifty and he's pitching this his book to this uh woman and 
Yes, and I so, have that. I think it's on page like one seventy. Yeah, I've got it, it highlighted somewhere. Uh, and he's like, uh, so basically, like the book is is uh, is, is like a, a gay Ulysses, and he's like the the character is very much just in, in himself. And uh, one seventy. All right. I've, well, my book might be different. Oh, is it the part where she's like, it's about like a white gay man? Yeah. So like he's, he's pitching the book, and it's this sad <laughs> book about the sad middle aged gay guy who's wandering around San Francisco. And she's like, actually, uh, you know, he's not that sad. Like, I don't really feel bad for a middle aged right. white man. And he's like, but he's gay. And she's like, but yeah, but like still even and he comes this realization that his character's not like a tragic figure his character's a fool right and i think that's when you're also like oh arthur less i'm not supposed to feel bad for him he's a fool he's actually had a perfectly lovely life and is traveling right. all around the world like you've got a great life like snap out of it and right. appreciate it see i so i had the opposite reaction to that i had the reaction of like this whole book is just this book like, yeah, why are you making me read this book? That's not good. That's kind of how <laughs> I felt like. And I, to be fair, I, I like if I was going to rate this book, I would give it three stars. Like, I think it's a perfectly solid book. Like the writing is great. I really like the writing, whatever. But I, for me, I was like, what's the point? Like, why am I here? Um, but so like so I had the opposite re reaction to what you're saying, which was like, I didn't have the moment of like, oh, Arthur Less is a fool. I had the moment of like. So why did you write this book about this sad guy from San Francisco wandering the world? But don't you think it's supposed to be reflective of the person who he imagined would read this book, which is someone who probably is smart enough and successful enough, but feels like they're mediocre because they're not a genius. Sure. Right. And that is like the mirror that it's holding up is like, quit stressing out that you're not a genius. Like your life is perfectly lovely. Don't like you can waste your life away thinking there's going to be a better guy or right. thinking you're going to write a better book when really like there is so much loveliness just in yourself. Yeah. I just kind of wish the book said but making that. yourself sad. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I think I, we, we talked about this like so briefly last week where you mentioned, I think a Charles Dickens book you want to read. That's like humorous prose. Yes. And I just, I, I wanted to laugh at this book because everyone said it was really funny, but I didn't laugh. Did oh, you I laughed laugh? a lot. See, I think I missed – I think that I miss humor sometimes in books. Because you're just you're reading. probably giving the, the text too much credit. Yeah, I think humor... Sometimes you can overthink – you cannot see humor because you're giving every word too much credit. Right, or that you're just reading it like how you read every other book and so many books aren't funny. And, like, I think sometimes humor, you have to see it physically in the world. Yes. Like, it's – humor's hard to read. It, I agree with you. Because I think it's so – so in the the sorry, we're he, talking about his rejection. We're going to talk about my rejection. That's fine. It's just, this it's just is on a book my heart club. right we now. We talk about everything. Yeah, I feel that the people – so like my agents really love the stuff that I wrote. And everyone who knows me were like, yeah. But they all were people who understand my voice and sense of humor. And a lot of the people who were reading it didn't know who the hell I – I'd right. never heard me speak before. And if you're not – I think like with anything, you have to hook into the author's voice mm -hmm. in order to get the humor, in order to read it at their pace mm -hmm. and understand like maybe they seem mean, but really they're just like, that's just them being cheeky. Right. And so I think if you're not, if you don't have the rhythm right, you don't yeah. get the humor. I, the rhythm just didn't work. It didn't land with me. I, I had a hard time being like, this is funny. Do you, <laughs> I, I'm interested. Uh, do you feel like you know this guy? 
Like, do you feel like kind you know of. a middle-aged I, gay guy? Yes and no. Okay. Like, I feel like, you mean, like, in the world, in my real life, like, do I know people like Arthur Less? Yes. Yes. I do feel like that. I just don't know if I felt like Arthur Less was specific enough. I, I don't know. He kind of felt like generally older gay guy to me. That's, I would say that's fair. So maybe like, because I, I do feel like with humor, like specificity is really important. And so maybe because I wasn't like picturing a very specific person that it didn't connect as humor to me. It kind of just connected as like complainy for me. Interesting. But like complainy is funny if you, like you're saying, if you know the person. Like I have. Right. I, I guess I'm in my like understanding who this person is in the world. I'm like. Oh God! This is just some like whiny queen, right? Right. Yeah, but like to me, I'm like, who cares? <laughs> I don't. I here's what I think it is about that. It's like, yes, a, a whiny queen can be really funny if you know the whiny queen and you get it, and like they're standing in front of you and be like, some of my favorite conversations is like when I call a friend just to bitch about things, you know? And it's like sure. you laugh so hard, and you're like, we're just complaining about like my sock turned pink in the laundry, but like, it's funny because I know you and you know me and you get it. Yeah. But I feel like maybe I didn't know Arthur well enough to connect to his like complainy, complain, complainy, whiny stuff. So here's why I think maybe there's a bit of a gap. Um, yes. And so something I think that the book does really well, something, part, an interesting conversation that it has is that as queer people, we, we really don't know how to grow old for that, two reasons. Yes. Uh, so if you are straight and cisgender, you likely have parents that are straight and cisgender who, whether or not you accept or reject it, you do have this model of, well, I'm going to get married and I'm going to have kids and I'm going to have a house. And there is an idea of what your life trajectory, your personal life trajectory Mm -hmm. is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And when you're queer, you, A, you can't really look to your parents as the model. We're only now entering a world where getting married is a thing that you think about. And before that, particularly a guy about, who's about to turn 50, most of his life, the idea of getting married and having kids and having that stable family is not something that was really on the table. Well, it wasn't even legal. Well, it wasn't, right. And also it's complicated by the fact that, like, most of us died in the 80s right. and 90s, right? All right. of the people who might serve as our elders and role models now died in, died in the AIDS plague. Right. So we are, and there as I get older, I more and more feel this anxiety of, I don't know, I don't have role models for what my personal life is supposed to look like. I don't know when I'm supposed to find someone or how many people I'm supposed to date or if I'm supposed to have kids or if I'm supposed to get married or do I have one partner or multiple partners? And there is this, I think, personal social anxiety that he's feeling. And there is, so there is the, the genius partner that he had, whom is like, like Robert, uh, who is, let's call it his, let's be a little generic and call it his deathbed. Sure. And then there is this younger man. Freddie. Freddie, who he was having sex with and spending lovely weekends with for nine years. Like, they were, at no point does he call Freddie his boyfriend. He's just, like, his fuck toy. But really, they were dating. Like, they right. had an intimate relationship, and they loved each other. And they traveled together, and they did things. Right. They, they were a boyfriend. Yeah. For a long time. But we're never willing, because in gay world, you can do that. You can have these nebulous, unlabeled relationships that you can, because I think amongst guys, you're like, oh, well, we can just sleep together, and it doesn't have to be personal, and it doesn't have to be intimate, Mm. because for so long, um, 
you know, we were in and for not only for so long were there prohibitions about men being intimate with each other, we're also raised as men and men are not taught to mm-hmm. romantically or platonically be intimate with one another. So we think we can have this emotional distance and but really like they're real personal loving relationships. Right. We just don't recognize it. And that's sort of what Arthur is dealing with as well, is that for so long he was like, oh, it's not real with Freddie, or he's too young, or he's going to move on from me. And then Freddie goes and getting is getting married, and it sends Arthur into this existential tailspin. Right, uh, right. So I think those particular questions make this seem very, I don't know, real right. and Well, that stuff I loved. So like yeah. what I loved about the book, and there are things that I really, really like. Like I loved some of the conversations on – on growing old as a gay man, like what does that mean? And like you were saying, like with with AIDS and all of that, but also just like without having role models and without having a clear, you know, because aside from not even having role, aside from like people dying from AIDS and and all the horror that went into that and the trauma that goes into losing your friends and your community, there's also this idea that like being gay wasn't really allowed a long time ago. Like you were like, it's right. Not, it's like a very recent thing. It's a very even, recent thing. So even if you survived and you didn't get AIDS and you didn't die and you made it like, then you are the new frontier because being an out and proud and like, I am a gay man in the world wasn't a thing. Yeah. And so like all of that, I find super interesting. I also really found the stuff about like, what is a successful marriage between Lewis and Clark? Remember his yes. friends? That's funny. Their names are funny. Their names are funny. Their names are funny. Um, I but found I that like, to be super interesting. too, And I think that's actually because what now allowing gay people to get married, but we've had our own forms of different forms of partnership before right. like we, we made lives together. Just because it wasn't a document. legal thing doesn't mean that people weren't spending their lives together in, commi- in committed long-term right. relationships. But we but, did yeah. allow new formations of them. And I think – so Lewis and Clark have this thing where one – I forget if it's – I think Clark says to Lewis – we're only going to be married for 10 years. 10 years. And then they come to 10 years and they say, we're only going to be married for 10 more years. Yeah, it's like, come... I'd like to re-up on the 10. Yeah, which I actually think that is that is a great model for partnership. So my husband and I, every year on our anniversary, we say, do we want to do it again? We actually, we do. We have like a moment of like, I think that's another beautiful. Year. I think the idea that you're, that you have to be together forever. I, I don't, because like my parents were married for much longer than they should have. Sure. Right? I think people grow and people change, and you don't always grow or change in the same direction. Right. I'm a very different person than I was 10 years ago. Sure. I'm sure I will be very different in another 10 years. Yeah. And, like, I'm I'm very in love with my boyfriend now, and I hope we're together forever, of course, but, like, things do change. And I think it would be better to come to a place of healthy agreement that you need to move separately than just grow to like hate each other. Grow to hate each other. Right. And vile. Well, and also I think Lewis says about the marriage, like, cause Arthur freaks out about this. He's like, what do you mean? You guys are my example of like a successful yeah. marriage. Like you are what I'm looking towards. And he's basically like, Arthur, if we were a band and we were together for 20 years, everyone would say, what a success. If we were business partners and we were like, and that this idea that like a marriage needs to be forever and ever and ever, and that you need to be committed to this person for the rest of your life, even though when you get married, you know, 20 years go by, 40 years go by, like 
some people it works and you find a groove and it's amazing, but like, it's not a failure to have had a successful marriage for up 20 years of love. Yeah. Like, and the idea that that is a failure is crazy when you right. really think about it. Yeah. And I think, so I, in the past week, I have had two friends break up. One broke up with a boyfriend. The other got divorced. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in both instances, they were they were talking about, like, the grief of the loss of that person. But in both instances, they it was very, like, mutually and responsibly agreed to. Like, mm-hmm. they didn't come to a place where they hate each other, hated mm-hmm. each other. They just both agreed that their lives were moving in different directions, and it no longer made sense for them to be together. Were they uh, homosexual yeah, relationships? Both, both gay guys. Interesting. And I, I was like, how healthy and lovely. Because I, I've only had, before the guy I'm dating now, I've only had two relationships, and they were both in college. So, I mean, uh, you know, whatever. But they both came to tragic ends, and I never would speak to those people ever again. Right. Well, and that's just so college too. Yeah. <laughs> that also speaks to a t- point in one's life where yeah. you're doing everything probably a little wrong. <laughs> you know um but yeah so like so those kind of like ideas I feel like throughout the book there's like these like big ideas that like Greer touches on loosely that I really appreciated but like the overall story itself I kind of was like does that make sense it does make sense I can Uh, understand why I don't necessarily feel the same way right no 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 of course not I think that I could have used maybe like 30 more pages on the end yeah i think it feels like he was like all right i'm tired i'm done writing the book okay what did you think of the end uh i wasn't crazy about (gasps) the end that's so crazy because i love the end i thought the end was amazing i got to the end and i was like thank god that was a good end i liked the way it ended okay stylistically i wasn't so the narrator part is that what you're talking about yes the narrator did okay i didn't i thought because for me so the narrator jumps in in and out a couple of times like acknowledges that they are a narrator right and i thought the narrator was the author okay and it's and the the narrator ends up being uh another character we can spoil it's freddie yeah everybody who's listening i hope you've read the book because we just spoiled (laughs) But I warned you earlier we were going to spoil, so what are you doing still listening? Um, the narrator's Freddy. Did you see that coming? I did not. I did not see that coming either. I was trying to figure out who the narrator was. The thing, So I didn't think that the narrator worked well throughout the book, but I thought that the ending was great. I, I almost like wanted to go back and like reread the sections with the narrator to like rehear what they had to say, knowing that it was Freddy in the end. Yeah, especially because I thought I understood who the narrator was. Right. And for me, uh, because the the book is about an author who's a right. you know, middle-aged gay guy, and Andrew Sean Creer is right. an author. So, like, a middle-aged I thought, gay guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought there was this play on, right, because as writers, we're always writing about ourselves. Right. They're just veiled versions of ourselves. And I thought we were playing with this veil of the narrator and the author. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as like the book gets rejected and rewritten, I was like, oh, are we sort of having this like fun interplay? Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, part of why I like the book so much as right. obviously because I'm a writer having right. experience reading it. Uh, and then when it turned out to be Freddie, I was like, oh, oh, no, 
Right. This totally screws with. Uh, <laughs> this is not what I thought. This. I was. thought I was reading something into the book, but maybe it's not there. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, he wanted you to try to figure out who the narrator was, because otherwise, he would have said, "Hi, I'm, I'm your Freddy. narrator, Freddie. Yes. Join me on this journey." So, like, he clearly was definitely playing with that idea of like, who is, who am I, who are you listening to tell this story of this other person? Yeah, and I. Because there are a couple throughout the book, there are a couple of missed phone calls and there are like urgent notes. And because there are two lovers, you know, it could be either of them. Mm -hmm. And also he goes on this adventure to miss Freddie's to, to avoid Freddie's wedding. And then people keep dropping hints that Freddie's wedding didn't go as it was supposed to go. Mm -hmm. And then you you get sort of the reconciliation with Robert. And then, you know, he's got to reconcile with Freddie somehow. And actually, I looked, I was like, oh, man, they're like. Five pages left in the chapter and five pages left in the book. How how are we gonna wrap it up with Freddie? And then that's how it happened. And I'm like, oh. All right. Okay. I, I didn't like love the it. end. <laughs> it's so funny that you like the book but not the end. And I didn't like the book, but I like the end. I had a moment at the end of being like, Thank you. Thank you, because I would have been pissed if the end I, I love a happy ending. I I was all for the happy end. Yeah. I but you just didn't like the way it rolled out. Yeah. That's okay. Um what about the stuff with Robert, the reconciliation with Robert? What did you think of all that stuff? It didn't make me feel much. Hmm. So interesting. We really had, like, very you and I had very, because I really liked, like, the reconciliation. I really liked the part where he was like, oh, poor Arthur, you must, like, really love this boy. I just, I liked, I think Robert was probably my favorite character. Because I liked, character. I liked that he had, like, a, clearly had, like, a generosity of, like he okay first of all he probably was a fucking asshole but also that there was like this generosity and like understanding of like the human spirit that i felt like came across from him like arthur felt like the only person in the world to arthur and everything was about like arthur's entitlement and his joy and his this and like uh, uh it's so hard being me and robert felt like he really like went through some shit but also was like that's life like yeah that he Sort of grown out of the selfishness. Yeah, like that he had a better um he had a better understanding of like what what it is to live a full life. I I would agree with you. I think the I guess the so Robert's wife, the woman Yeah, that, Marion yeah, or something. because it's like there is like there's seemingly bad blood between everyone which is why they haven't spoken in many mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it's been close to 15 mm -hmm. 10 15 years since anyone has communicated with one another mm -hmm. and then everyone gets on the skype call <laughs> and everyone's just so like right happy and great and everything's fine right uh and i guess story-wise that seemed a little too convenient well see but i so what i wondered was that were, was everybody really upset with each other or had less created this thing in his mind in his mind because like it seems like the way that it's written that like marion seemed like genuinely like happy to see him and even when robert and les got together marion like seemed it felt like she knew it was coming kind of yeah like it seemed like she like that she that less created this problem for himself that maybe like if he had just been put himself a little bit aside, he could have maybe had a relationship with them. So I don't know. Fair. No, that's, that's, that's there's yeah. so much about 
less that I feel like I just don't know or get. And so I feel like maybe that's part of what makes the book good for people is like you can insert your own. You can write yourself into it. You can it. write yourself into it. Like, oh, if you really like are on the side of less, then you're like, oh, there like there's bad blood and like this was a really uncomfortable situation. Whereas like if you don't like him as much, maybe you could do what I did, which was like, less created all this bullshit. He's a drama queen. <laughs> like it's not that big of a deal. Nobody cares. Like a stroke means more than you know. So I don't I don't know. But you're right. It's unclear either way. Yeah. And I I mean I think that's intentional, right? I think so, right? It's because don't you look back on your life and why, Why do you make such a make big deal about that? Or maybe it's just time heals the wounds. Right. But that maybe if they, they tried to, they kept in touch or if they spoke in you know, five years, whatever, it would be okay. there would still be the, 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 the shit that you're mad about people, right. mad about people with. Right. Cause, ugh. and then if just, you just get past it, you just move on. Right. This book does do a good job of kind of like talking about the passing of time and of aging in a really like, for the most part, really generous, kind way, you know, like yeah. besides Arthur's personal anxiety about turning 50, like you kind of see, like, I loved how the book weaved between the relationships and like the memories of them over, you know, the course of like what, 20, 28 years of relationships or yeah. more. And I liked how it was kind of fluid and you saw why and how people became who they were. Yes. And I really liked that. I, I like know. That. I agree. <laughs> You're saying it so much more eloquent. I, I, I rarely find occasion to talk about the books that I've read with another person. I know. Isn't it great? And you're, I'm like, you do it all the time. I'm like, wow, you're speaking about this so well. And I agree with what <laughs> Thank you're saying. You. Yes. <laughs> I love talking about books, but it's true. Like this is so I don't, I don't know people who read. <laughs> oh, I know people. There's lots of people on the internet. I made friends on the internet, which is like so creepy, except for that they're readers. So I trust that they're nice people. It's okay. I've slept with fans. It's fine. There you go. Yeah. Twitter. This is like the same as sleeping with fans is talking about books with people you meet on the internet. No, but it's, um, you have to, we'll have to, I'll have to introduce you to some people I know in real life who read. I, I, do, I should, I should join a book club. I'm not in a real-life book club. This is my real-life book club. Well, I think you've dedicated enough of your Thank life to you. books. Well, I just don't like – well, let, let me tell you why I'm not in a book club. I'm in one other book club. It's me and one other person, okay. Sam. He was a guest a while ago, and we started our own book club because we wanted to read, like, dark, twisty nonfiction. And every time we would tell people what we were reading, they'd be like, why are you reading that? Like, mm, that book's about murder. Mm. Why are you reading a book about polygamist – blah 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 and we were like because we like it and we don't want you to be judgy so we just never invited anybody else into our book club fair enough and so i don't want to read a book that like megan wants to read <laughs> no offense i know a lot of lovely megan's but i we all know who megan is yeah yes. sure becky whoever you want her to be um i want to read what i want to read so if you don't fall in line with what i want to read I don't want to talk about a book with you, you know? Right. You'd have to be in a book club with interesting people who are going to make interesting selections. Right. And that's hard. Yes. That's the hard part. But what I like about this podcast is I can just read a book that I might not normally read with a person that I think is interesting and know that I'll get to have an interesting conversation about one book with one person. And I don't have to commit my whole life to reading what Zeke wants to read. There you go. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Though but, I also like dark, twisty nonfiction. Well, we could get we. I mean, we could like have our own little like yeah. offline book club. Um, I have so much dark, twisty nonfiction, and you like military books too. I do, and I feel like I'm pretty well read. I think in the genre of true crime. Yeah. Yeah. What's your fave, or what's uh, something you read that you liked? 
uh, 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 let's say, just because I'm like at a loss, because you can't just ask me what books I read. No, it's fine. Uh, Helter Skelter. Oh, so good. (gasps) That's like the one that got me to become, to realize that I'm obsessed with cults. Yes. And also, (laughs) I, I've, uh, I'm well read on Jonestown. Jonestown is my number one. On the fundamentalist Church of Latter Day Saints. You did you read you read the John Croc Hour? Oh yeah, I did. I love that. He's like my number one. Have you read Where Men Win Glory? His book about Pat Tillman. Yes, I have. Is that not an amazing book? It's an amazing book. That's an amazing book. Yes. John Croc Hour. I love John Croc Hour. Amazing. This is like. If you want to talk about a book that's like really far away from less, like you might consider reading Under the Banner of Heaven or Where Men Win Glory. I love Under the Banner of Heaven. So good. Okay, we'll do more true crime when we log <laughs> off. Um, see, I'm smiling from ear to ear from true crime is my joy. Um, and get Killers of the Flower Moon, I'm sure you I've not read that yet. I know everyone says it's amazing and I have to. I just haven't gotten there. It it's came about, out recently. I, La- about a year ago? Yeah. yeah. So I just haven't gotten there. But it's on my list, and I know it's really good. <sighs> There's just so much crime. So, so much. We're in the true crime renaissance. Yes. Everyone loves true crime. Have you read Columbine by Dave Cullen? I've not. Okay. All right, I'll put it on the list. It's, it's one of the best true crime investigative journalist books I've ever read. He is amazing. He is um, – he's gay. Oh. And fun. I have a theory about true crime written by gay men and women – or people of color, it's always better. Yeah. Because I feel that sometimes white, heterosexual, cisgender men feel that they have to apologize or justify some of the crazy shit that has happened. Like I read a book about Jonestown, about Jim Jones, and the author was like... I probably read that book. I'm obsessed with Jonestown. I love Jonestown. I'm obsessed, but I can't. I'm so excited. But the author was like, in Indianapolis in the 1960s, while people were... Like, there was a general feeling of, like, dislike of African Americans. It wasn't so racist. They used the word nigger as more of a descriptive term. And I'm like, why are you apologizing for Indianapolis in the 1960s? Like, another book I read about Jonestown written by a woman, she was like, Indianapolis was fucking racist. Racist, And, like, that's why these people wanted to leave. And that's why these people followed Jim Jones. And, like, that the difference between just, like, how you present these things as, like, an older, heterosexual, white, cisgender man, I feel like sometimes I'm like, you're not being honest with us. Whereas when it's written by like a gay guy or a woman or a black man or something, I just, I feel like I'm like, I fuck with this. So you should read Columbine because I fuck with that book so hard. Yeah. Also, isn't the craziest thing about Jim Jones and Jonestown that it all started as a cult or not a cult as a church that was seeking racial justice? Yes. It's, that's, that's the craziest part to me. My listeners know that I'm obsessed with Jonestown. I fucking love Jonestown. I would have been part of Jonestown. I know it. I'm from the Bay Area. It was like my <laughs> kind of shit. Like, I just know I would have been in there. The People's Temple. I would have been a member. I, I can't sing, so I wouldn't have been in the choir. But anyways, the number one recommendation is A Thousand Lives by Julia Shears. It's about Jonestown. I tell everybody to read it. It's amazing. And I've read it too. I can also. I can Isn't it amazing? Recommend. Yes. It's amazing. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. 
That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, back. Let's go back to the book. Okay. I want to talk about something that the book brings up that's not necessarily like about the book, but just I kind of want to get your take. The book talks about how like less is a bad gay. Ah, yes. Because his characters in his book are like gay men who are long suffering and like have no joy and get no reward and are just basically like miserable humans. And that this is like some sort of self loathing gay man author problem yes so talk about it this is so interesting (laughs) um i like to so an idea that i like to talk about a lot is that so straight people have this expectation that you're you know gonna get married and have kids and Mm -hmm. that is your expectation Mm -hmm. in life and if you're gay uh that or if you're trans or however um you no longer have the expectation to get married and get kids you you go from straight expectations to gay expectations and the gay expectations are also twofold. They are that you are out mm-hmm. and that you are proud. Mm. Right. Uh, so that you are out, that you tell everyone whatever your identity happens to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that you are not only unashamed of how mm-hmm. of who you are, but that you are you are outwardly proud and you just can't right. wait to tell everybody how much that you love this part of yourself. Right. And I think that you know, there are political reasons why we believe that, but what I think is so, you know, I think there's the expectation that we are proud, but I think it's so much ha- harder 
to be proud and to get to rid yourself of the uh self-loathing that the world really really beats into you from a very very small age uh i know that in the process of uh of writing recently i've had to come to terms with as much as i want everyone to like think that i am so proud and think that i you know have rid myself of the shame of of being queer and being trans like it still exists it's still in there and it's still so hard but we don't politically we don't want people to know that it the shame still lives within us right um because we want full access and we want to be known as living full lives and we don't want all these prohibitions about moving around in the world and there is from the community like you can't show any signs that there's still that you might not fully love the like queer and trans part of yourself right uh and if you do betray that you're considered a bad one sure um there's also i think what he is de- so there is that there's right. like displaying the self-loathing and not being as proud as you're supposed to be there's also this idea of assimilation that so for, like i remember when i was in college they there gay marriage was legal in a couple of states but the activism was ramping up towards gay marriage and there were a lot of people who felt that gay marriage was a bad political objective sure because what it meant is that gay people should just be like straight people we should right. be that we shouldn't have our own new way of looking at the world we should just be like just indistinguishable from straight people where we get married and we have kids this uh, is like tofurkey yes it's like you have a tofu food it does not have to be turkey why can't you just have this great tofu food like you can like as opposed to trying to force gayness into the straightness ideas yes why not just like gayness be its own great fucking thing right and say like this is how we do shit right because it's not like straight people have it all worked out right like there's so much like abuse and divorce and right people right like it's not like that the way that straight people did it is so great so let's find our just we're liberated from all these expectations let's find our new way of doing right um and 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 arthur less is accused of being an assimilationist because his protagonist the hero of the book that's so he realizes that he's a bad gay because he is nominated for a gay book award mm-hmm. and he is clearly not going to win because the guy who is presenting the award is in not so many words just trashing his book mm-hmm. because his hero is uh you know a strapping soldier right a strapping mm-hmm. example of normative masculinity right right, right. uh and he's like stra- then he is stranded and alone and sad and that's where he has his gay affair and then when he is rescued he goes back to his bed um and I think the interpretation is, oh, well, if this character could have it his own way, he would be gay. Right. He would be straight. Right. Self-loathing. Yes. Is real. It's real. And it's interesting that as an artist of any marginalized group, your art speaks for the group. That is, I think it's, you know, there is so little art that's speaks specifically to your identity and your experience that when you see anyone talking anywhere near it all you want is for it to speak to your experience Mm -hmm. because i know i feel like very lost i've talked a lot in in this and in the previous podcast you know about how like 
lost and alone I have felt for so much mm-hmm. of my life. And you're just grasping for something to give you answers. And when you get it and it doesn't give you the answers that you thought it was going to, you get really mad at it. Sure. Whereas like when I'm reading a biography of Winston Churchill, like I don't expect him to have all the answers for my life. Right, so I can this is his life. Yeah. So you can take from it what you want. Yeah, it's very interesting. I was having dinner last night with a trans guy who's a, a writer and a director, and he recently directed a project uh, that is based on a book that was highly controversial uh, within the community. Mm-hmm. And, like, resoundingly, like, panned, you know, didn't do well, and is, like, the based book. on have, the book. And the, the, the screenplay was rewritten to fix a lot of the errors. And he was like, it is about trans men, and he's a trans man. He was like, I didn't find it offensive, but I did find it challenging. And I think we're in an era where if you're making art about queer trans people, it's just supposed to be so crystal clean and perfect, and everyone's supposed to be just a, be a hero without problems. But really, everybody has problems. Right. Well, and that's that, a double standard. Exactly. And that we can't just be so terrorized by what people say on Twitter who want perfect art. We need to make art with people who are challenging and ideas which are uncomfortable. Right. I mean, I think that, like, this idea that, like, if you have a gay character, I I think what I relate, or what I understand, I don't relate to it, but what I understand that, I think his name's, like, Finley or something, whatever, the guy who's telling Arthur that he's a bad gay, and Mm -hmm. he's saying, like, his book is about this gay guy who then, like, basically goes back to being straight, and, like, that there's no reward for, like, gay characters, is that he's trying to push towards this new idea that like gay people can like have joy and find happiness and still be gay and that he's saying that Arthur's a bad gay because he's not presenting that option he's presenting this like tortured narrative which is like so what we hear so much on from like heterosexuals like that it must be so hard to be gay it must be so miserable what a terrible life who would ever choose to be gay like it's so you know yeah it's a choice you can overturn. Like, we can fix this problem. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the person who's, like, critiquing Arthur is kind of pushing towards this idea of, like, why can't we have a fucking positive story with a great person who finds love with another man and rides off into the sunset and is like, this is awesome. And, like, I I like that because, like, you know, I'm Jewish. And, like, there was a while there every movie was about the Holocaust. It's like, can't Jews have some fun? Yeah. Like, why? where's my big, fat Jewish wedding? Like, why can't I have a good time seeing my people on the screen, you know? Or, like, every black movie forever and ever is a slave movie. It's like, we've also done other things, you know? And, like, so I think that that's kind of, like, what the guy is trying to get at is, like, it doesn't have to be a book about a tortured – it doesn't have to be about AIDS. It doesn't have to be a tortured gay man. It could be about what this book ends up being, right? A happy love story. Yeah, I – I definitely think that's true, and I'm all about like <laughs> the fun, happy narrative and putting new faces and new identities into old genres. But I, I think also, I, going back to this idea of struggling with pride, right? Like I think that there is this like false creation of you are like, all right, fine. Like you, you there are only two options. You are right. either like the tortured gay man who would rather be straight, or right. like you're just so happy and proud and everything's lovely. Right, you're either gay. like but miserable I think, like, the or rea- you're queer eye for the straight guy. Right, I think like the reality lies somewhere in the middle, and right. you don't just jump from being, I think all of us at some point are like sad and miserable being queer because we're alone and everyone is making fun of mm-hmm. a lot of fun of us and we're clearly so different in school. Mm-hmm. And you don't just like jump from that to wearing glitter and a thong and a pride sure. parade. 
And I, I guess I am, as a human, interested in that in-between. Sure. And how we journey from one to the other. Because you can't just hop from A to B. Right. That terrible, tortured experience of middle school and high school still lives with you as you right. grow old. Well, two things. One is that I think you just made a really good point, like an A-plus point for this book. Because this book does hold on to some of the torture less. Um, the book less is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but also does have the happy ending. Yeah. So this book kind of does go from A to B without I, jumping from I am dying of AIDS to I have glitter shooting out of my unicorn horn. Yeah. You know, like this book is like a pretty realistic version of like a real human yeah. who just also is gay and also is struggling with love and also is struggling with aging. And like we talked about last week, like this idea of universal experience, like mm -hmm. this book is pretty universal. Yeah, there are definitely specific particular things that pertain to him and his sexuality and also him being a writer and him being, you know, a white man. But generally, it's pretty universal. Someone uh, described this book as the fiction, the gay fiction version of Eat, Pray, Love. Uh, oh, yeah, that's how I am pitching it totally. to my friends. Totally. It's gay like, fiction, oh, it's Eat, gay, pray, love. pray, Love. Yeah. Um, but I what I was saying more was not so much like that it needs to be like this pride thing of like gay caricature you know unicorns and, and rainbows and that but more just that like there's so many narratives for heterosexual people or white people where it's like I had this hard time and I struggled and then you know I I got a bikini wax and now I'm Sandra Bullock do you know what I mean where it's like right. I don't feel like there are very many stories like that for gay for gay folks or any any queer folks or yeah. for you know and I think that's why I like about this is a narrative is very much a guy like trying to fucking get over himself so he can be in love with right. the person who loves him. That's right. it's so simple and universal. And so much queer fiction is wrapped up in AIDS or coming out or right. violence or overcoming a religious background or whatever. Right. That I think part of the reason I love this book so much is that it is just so like, oh, yeah, this is just sort of like normal, a real normal problem. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I think like, I think that's, I do think that that is what makes the book good. It's like that it's just like, normal yeah but i think that may be why you felt a little like oh like what's the point of yes, all this totally you're like it's it's sort of like not to go back to it but like crazy rich asians if you go see the movie it's just a dumb rom-com but like right if it's, you love a rom-com which i do right it's amazing but it's very much just but a basic totally, rom-com yeah. but you're seeing new people get to participate sure. in the fairy tale and that's what makes it so special right. and i think that's why i like this book is right. like yeah it's just like a guy whose problems aren't that big and he just needs to get out of his own way right. and like love the person who loves him. And it's so nice to see someone who looks like me getting right. to do that. Right. Cause I never get to see that. Sure. And, but that's what I think that the other character is saying to him, why he's a bad gay is because he's, saying like you keep pushing this miserable gay thing yeah. and like I want you to push something like because but he had to find he, he had, had to, to figure it out yeah, yeah but I think that that is like the point that the guy's making is like stop making us miserable like we're in Morocco for Christ's sake like we're on this great vacation or wherever they were at the time yeah. like stop like show us the world that we actually live in because like gay people and white people and black people and brown people we all have shitty things that happen to us and we all deserve a chance to find joy and existence and like should you know all those things that we get to that like sandra bullock and julie roberts get every movie like yeah we all the rest of us would also like that you know 
that's why that's why my favorite moment in the book is when he confronts the lady confronts him and yes. he realizes oh or he's rewriting the book and he's like oh this is not a sad book i'm a fool right like i'm a fucking fool right i right. love that realization yeah right just like flip that's it. that's what it's about totally yeah you're like i am i am a fool to think that i am so sad yeah so i mean we i've kind of been dancing a little bit around this but i know a few people um a few of our listeners had reached out and wanted to know why we thought this book won the pulitzer yes um i have two one theory because so the book was up in a year where there were a lot of books written by women okay. that got a lot of praise a lot of books written by people of color that got a lot of praise and in a year that um our president changed to someone that is very white very male also in a year of me too and time's up and a lot of like struggle towards elevating voices that push back against the quote-unquote mainstream mm -hmm. and then this book one which is a book about a white guy written by a white guy and i think a lot of people were like what the fuck I, and by a lot of people, I mean myself included. I was like, there's no way Jessamyn Ward doesn't win for Sing Unburied Sing. There's no way the Exit West doesn't win. But they didn't win. And I didn't quite understand it. And I was kind of like grossed out by the book it, for that reason. I was kind of like, I don't want to read this book. Like, ugh. But I was like, you know, it's about a gay story. And like, that's something that's also been marginalized, whatever. I think that the reason that this book did so well is because in all of this darkness and heaviness and like fighting and like just like general yuckiness feeling in the world this book is like so light yeah i found the book very funny i laughed out loud a lot <laughs> i and think, I you're think not that it like that. ends in a love story is very nice yeah I because i think we are i know that for the first time in my life i wake up and i look at the newspaper and i feel such a feeling of hopelessness mm -hmm. i'm like i don't know how to make it out of this like right and i think yeah it's it's so nice to laugh it's nice, right? And, like, I didn't laugh at this book, but, like, I didn't feel stressed out going to sleep after I read it. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't, like, deep breaths. This book is about Jonestown. Like, I need to watch Friends or something. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, like, this book stands out from a lot of books that were published last year in the sense that it's, like, you know, it's baby blue and pink. And, like, it, it stands out in what it is. And I think that, like, that's one of the reasons that it was recognized when it was recognized. Like, cause it's not what you think of as being like the most pulitzer -y book. No, not at all. I mean, I think Confederacy of Dunces is the last, the last humorous comedy. leaning. And book that was to like in the forties. I thought 30s? it was 36, 37. Yeah. yeah. So like, I just think, and also think about what was going on at that time. It's like right after the depression, like leading into world war. Like, yeah. Well, I, I think what's great about this book is that it, is not engaging in the oppression Olympics. Right. Right? It's not, because there is a way that you write this book where it does make it seem like it's going all around the world, mm -hmm. world to be a gay guy, but it sort of pulls the reins on that and is like, no, really, I'm fine and yeah. I'm happy. And I think that checking that impulse is something we all need to start to learn to do. Yeah. Right? Is to not get it, is to like be fine not being the center of attention for right. being a victim. Right. Like, and like, it could be worse. I yeah. try to remind myself that a lot. Like when I'm having a bad day, like it could be worse. Like yeah. you're fine. You're totally fine. Um, the other reason I think that this book also might've won a Pulitzer is because it talks about the Pulitzer Prize a lot. It, it is, <laughs> which is like those movies that are like about winning the Oscar that always win. And you're like, oh, okay, well, if I just name drop the Pulitzer, I might win a prize. 
Um, okay. My last little favorite things to talk about. What did you think of the cover and the title? Uh, a fan Anything? of both. Fan of both. I like the title. And I like how it was used at the end. Yes. And I like. And I like how it's used in the all the chapter headings. Yes. Mm-hmm. I like that too. And I love the cover. And I love the pink. Uh, yeah, that blue suit with the pink lining. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Um, if we were going to make this into something on screen. Yeah. Which I think it definitely will be. I, I bet TV it's already movie. optioned. Movie? Movie. I tried to look if it was option, but it's hard to search for less movie option. Yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, not a great search title. No, here, I I, I have a theory about mm-hmm. how this is going to be turned into a movie. Okay. I think Neil Patrick Harris is going to sure. play Arthur Less mm-hmm. and that this is going to be his, his, his like big push to win an Oscar. Sure. I was thinking also with Sean Hayes. I know he's not blonde. Yeah. But he's just so like, I feel like it, it's ha- a he- very different movie of Sean Hayes. Though. Sure. Neil Patrick Harris will be much more brooding. Yeah. I pathetic. I, I think he'll be able to like, you know, walk the line between the brooding and the humor. Okay. Uh, Anybody else you can see in it? Trying to think, you know, we, there aren't many, uh, old, old, you know, well-known gay actors right. and even fewer well-known comedically oriented gay actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not that, not that I'm trying to like, uh, be like, it's so hard to be a gay guy, but you know, Gay guy is the only category of stand-up comedian where there hasn't really been someone who's been a real breakthrough stand-up comedian. Hmm. Gay women, yes, sure. but gay guy, there's never really been interesting a great gay stand-up. Yeah. I hate stand-up comedy, so I don't. I don't hate it. I just don't <laughs> like it. So I don't know anything. I know like five stand-up comedians. I'm like Ellen is one. Yeah, <laughs> does she still do that? Well, she's got her show. Sure, Apparently, but like she's not as nice in person. As I've people. heard. I've heard this she portrays herself I on television makes me very sad but i i, I just had, think that has to be true about anyone yeah who's that successful well i've heard that about neil patrick harris as well oh girl you hear he is a big bitch yeah, yeah. okay so here's who i came up with for freddie okay i would like it to be someone more ethnic but i well, pick, he's he's something Mexican. he's like mixed something right yeah he's latinx i couldn't find someone that i liked because i think that the actor should be gay uh i could give or take that I, cause I here's the thing. Great. I think that you have to be very careful on. Uh, I think it's uh, well, it's, uh, it's different with trans actors and sure. trans parts. Let's put that aside. But I think you can't. Yes, we should try to put gay people in gay roles, but I don't think you can't put prohibitions on it because then it allows them to say, well, then only straight people can right. be straight. No, roles. I agree with that. I just feel like it, this movie, like I, if it was my perfect world, it would be, it would be all gay actors playing the gay roles just yes. because i think like why not have a vehicle for folks who are so often like in trouble or like not in trouble but don't get parts because they're gay totally. it's like well then this is an opportunity for you to just like fucking be a star in a great feel-good rom-com that being said i tried to only come up with actors that were out yeah which is harder than you think because there's Very not hard. a lot of older gay male actors. I basically found like Nathan Lane and the guy from Frasier. Yeah. But I I thought Jonathan Groff would be kind of a cute Freddy. He's Jonathan not Groff. ethnic enough. Yeah, I think he's also too old. No, he's 33 and Freddy's 32 oh. when they get married. There you go. Yeah, but for me, I think Freddy's got to be a person of color. I mean, I think so too. Also, what about um, what sm- Smollett? Jesse Smollett, Smollett. He's like, I don't know. Yes, you know, ah, Journey Smollett. You know her, the girl. She's like in like. Anyways, you said you don't know anything about pop culture. Yeah, I'm sorry. Anyways, he's like a mixed guy, uh-huh. and I thought of him for Bastion. 
Okay. Because Bastion is like blackish. Yes. <laughs> but I struggled. I mean, I really struggled. Like, I also thought because there's so many great like characters that come in and out, like I I envisioned Lewis to be Alan Cummings. That would be great. Right. Like, oh, so yes, fucking no, that's perfect. Great. Like, because you have all these like people who could like be these cameo And a Clark moments. could be like a John Benjamin Hickey. Sure. And then like also you have the woman, I can't remember her name, whose birthday it is. And, and Robert she's a lesbian. Could be, uh, uh, oh, who is it? Is it Ian McKellen? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes. Yes, sure. I, I, I that is the one that that was the other one that I came up with. Um, and then I also feel like they're like, I felt. I, I mean, you know what's so interesting about this movie? Huh? It would not pass the Bechdel test. What's the Bechdel test? So the Bechdel oh, test. Oh, two women talking to each, each other, other about, about something, something other than a man. It's true. Yeah, I don't think two women have a conversation with each other. There's only two women in the book. Yeah. Well, I guess, and then there's the Japanese girl. Yeah. But there's Marion, and then there's the woman whose birthday it is in Morocco. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think this book has no a place there's for not women. A, but it's it's also you're telling a you know a tale about. People who are marginalized. So right. it's, yeah, I, I, but I, I always just think it's a, yeah, because I I wrote a short story that I'm working into a screenplay right now, and it's just very funny in the back of my because it's also about gay guys, uh-huh. and I don't think there's a single female character in the story or in the in 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 the film, and I'm like, oh, this will not pass the Bechdel test. Mm-mm. But anyway, not everything can. Most right. things don't. That's what I've learned. And, you know, I'm a feminist. I'd like to think that the things mm-hmm. I write, like when I write. Parts of women, there are good parts of women, and they're active and smart, and yada yada. But I'm like, oh no, this just it just it doesn't. as because of the fact that it's about gay men, and because it's about gay men, everyone who's fucking each other is a man, right? They're just there's, there's less women characters yeah. also just in this book in general. Um, also, you know who probably would like ha- would also pop up in this book somehow in this movie would be like Jesse Tyler Ferguson. There must be a place for him. Cause he's so joyful. We need some joy. Oh, yeah, he would be great. He would. I don't know who he would be. I just like literally looked up a list. Carlos, of, I guess no. No, Car- Carlos. Oh, Cheyenne Jackson is Carlos. Oh. He's like the dark, swarmy rival to our Neil Patrick Harris. Yes, he's maybe not quite old enough, but like in Hollywood, everyone looks younger than they are. So who knows? He might be close. Fair enough. Also, again, is Cheyenne Jackson. He's Native American. Yeah. All right. You would think maybe they would have to, again, ca- cast the Latino Well, you, then you'd have to cast, like, Ricky Martin. He's, like, the one. Well, he, he was in uh, the assassination <laughs> of Keanu Versace. I know. He was. Well, no, there's also, oh, my God, that guy, he typically, uh, he's very macho, Guillermo, Guillermo Diaz. Oh, yes, 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 from Scandal. Yeah. Sure, but he, do you think he's old enough? Let's just put know. some gray highlighter in his hair. I think he's, like, 35. I don't, uh, then you age him down, and do you make him Freddy? we'll work on it casting directors give us a call we have some ideas we're open to casting also why not let's get let's get some young new fresh i feel like freddie is an unknown yeah freddie's got to be an unknown because that because also that allows neil patrick harris to just really be the star and then you just nominate freddie for his best supporting role and you're like oh look we we helped a kid that's that's what happens yeah it's like the kid who plays freddie he gets nominated for best supporting and Neil Patrick Harris gets locked out of all the awards mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. like, and he like commits suicide on stage after yeah. the show is like, this was my chance. Yeah. Okay. And then finally oh. his poor husband who is always in the shadows is like, I get to be the star Who's now. Who's his husband? His name is David, David Burka. That's right. And when they first met, he was the more successful actor in the mm-hmm. NPH. Just like, that's right. That's yes. right. Um, well, I, I do think this will make a good on screen something. 
Yeah, I think no we're going to see it very soon. Uh, no doubt. Um, okay, anything else that you want to say about this book or anything about reading or anything? I, I am thoroughly tapped. <laughs> this has been lovely. Uh, I've had so much fun. I had such a good time having you here. Thank you so much for coming. Um, I will, of course, link to everything we talked about in the show notes and also Zeke's social media and all that good stuff so you can find Zeke and love on him in other ways. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you in the stacks. That's all for today's show. Thank you for listening, and thank you to our guest, Zeke Smith. Also, I would like to thank Little Brown and Company for providing a free copy of Less by Andrew Sean Greer. Remember, you can join the Stacks Pack and be a part of creating this podcast, earn awesome perks, and get special access by going to patreon.com slash the stacks and contributing as little as a dollar a month. Make sure you're subscribed to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright. Our theme music is from Tagiragis, and this show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. <laughs>